I mean, the Ledger guys spent like probably about a million dollars trying to break code card. And and you know, they managed to take to, to break the chip, not cold card itself. They broke the chip that we rely on to do some stuff, but even then with the with the current version, they they were not able to ex to extract the actual seed. So like we don't have a seed extraction example to the to the current extent, right? And is it possible it exists out there? Of course it is, right? And we are gonna always play to the fact that we don't know. So we just try to create security scenarios and the design of the device in a way that it tries the best it can against the unknowns. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Welcome back to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Today, it was our pleasure to be joined by Rodolfo Novak, better known as NVK. NVK is the co-founder and CEO of CoinKite. And if you've been living under a rock for the last few years, CoinKite creates the best hardware wallet you can buy, most secure, most robust, the cold card. CoinKite makes a couple other really cool devices, one of them being the Open Dime. The Open Dime is basically a bearer asset for Bitcoin. It's like a USB stick where you can store, hold Bitcoin, and then you can pop a little cherry in that thing, and then you can pull it off. So it's a great use for giving a gift to somebody for their wedding or however you want to do it. It's a very, very simple, basic hardware wallet that's a one-time use. Very cool. I would be remiss if I didn't mention that CoinKite also makes the block clock. Anyone who's made it in Bitcoin or has been in it long enough drools over these things and loves them. If you don't have a block clock hanging on your wall, what are you doing? And full disclosure here, we didn't get paid at all for shilling this stuff. We just think CoinKite makes some really cool shit. And um, we are the owners of some of it. And we, we think it's worth purchasing for your cold storage use. In this conversation, we talked to NVK about a whole host of different things. We talk about the current Bitcoin dip. We talk about angry DMs from plebs that are angry that Bitcoin didn't reach the numbers that some people thought it would. Uh, reading tea leaves, on-chain analysis, Bitcoin as the best pony to protect yourself from the horrors of inflation. We talk about the cold card, of course. We talk about some new products which are still remaining secret that CoinKite's got in their production line. We talk about taking an open dime's virginity, edging, and we get to shoving gold dildos up your ass to get through an airport with your wealth. We talk about best practices for basic cold storage setups, how an umbrella comes into play for that, and just best practices in general for protecting your wealth in Bitcoin. This was an awesome conversation that Dan and myself really enjoyed. You can follow us on Twitter at blue underscore collar BTC. You can send us an email at blue collar Bitcoin podcast at Gmail. And you can follow Rodolfo at NVK on Twitter. So grab a coffee or a beer, whatever you prefer. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. All views and language expressed by the hosts and guests in this podcast are solely their personal opinions and do not reflect their employers or organizations they are associated with. Do not treat any of the content in this podcast as investment advice or as an inducement to follow a particular strategy. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only.
NVK, welcome to the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. How are you doing today? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Rodolfo, we're pumped to chat. Uh, a little warning here, gentlemen. Uh, I came off duty this morning. I literally slept like an hour and 15 minutes. So if I'm like half-baked for this hour, you know why. Well, it took me 10 minutes to walk down the stairs to get here. I pulled something in my back last week, and I feel like an old man. I, I truly have sympathy for people with back pain now at work. But you, <laughs> we see people with back pain all the time, and you're like, come on, man. Like, Just get out of bed. Get in the stretcher. Let's go to the hospital. But yeah, my uh, my empathy is higher for people with back pain right now. You know, Way the, the baby woke me up at 4 a.m. today. So uh, why are we doing know, this, guys? Let's number just, two, just yeah. let's end go this thing. That's right. <laughs> let's end this thing and get some Z. <laughs> yeah, back to you. Josh is, I, I think the audience probably has gathered this just from listening to him for 50 hours or whatever, but he's pretty fucking soft. I mean, he has a pretty weak frame. I do. And, I'm, uh, my constitution is whittling away. Yeah, For people that don't see it, it's almost like I'm speaking to Vitalik right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. He's like <laughs> 130 pounds soaking wet. I just got to get this acne taken care of, and I'll be I'll be good. Then I'll work on the body. You know. Uh, if you guys can't see it, the man is a beast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Not he at is all. A beast. I'm more like yeah. Vitalik for sure. He's an animal. We <laughs> have this. Uh, we have this. You, you know who Susie B is? Have you seen her on Twitter, Rodolfo? You may or may not. She's like a. Uh, I might have bumped into. She, she's her. a retired dentist mom who she's great. I mean, she's like she p puts out some good stuff, but she's been joking for months now about like we need to go to video so she can see shirtless, sexy firemen. And uh, I told her yesterday, you like, guys have a reputation to uphold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I told we her it would be too distracting for, for the audience. Like we, we we're content forward here, NVK. So for someone to see our pecs and biceps just wouldn't, it would detract from the Bitcoin message. It's that yeah, I mean, for the people who are not watching, we're all shirtless right now. Yeah. We're John Vallis. We, we that's, follow that. That's right. Dan and I are wearing fire helmets as well. <laughs> In turnout gear. Yep. Yeah. So NVK, I don't think I've ever heard your your story. I know you were you were born in Sao Paulo, right? And you yeah. so tell us your your story. Like how did you get from Brazil to Canada and then decide to start building Bitcoin wallets or signing devices? So yeah. So I uh I came to Canada when I was about 19 by myself to take a, a course in in digital media stuff. And uh I I kind of fell in love with the city. Uh, Canada was a bit different than it is now. <laughs> and, you know, it, it, it was just like, I, I think it was both like a mix of like, you know, new place, you know, being 19, you know, alone in a different country, you know, like it was pretty awesome. And I don't know, like I, I fell in love with the city and I decided to stay. Right. And so I, I sort of like started taking jobs here and I immigrated. Um, and then, you know. Fast forward about, don't know, like, say, 15 years, 14 years ago, I think, um, you know, still like working startups, doing all kinds of different stuff. But on the side, I started this, this little company uh, and I met uh, my business partner, Doc Hacks, who was an absolute genius. And uh, we started like working on software, right? This is pre-Bitcoin. We, we were working on, on different projects and, uh, and sort of trying to come up with ideas to make things. We were making apps, all kinds of stuff. We bumped into Bitcoin on Slashdot when, it, when the white paper came out. 
and uh you know read that and you know wow this is really cool but there is absolutely no fucking way this is ever gonna work (laughs) yeah i mean seriously like you know if you looked at the white paper when it came out it was pretty cool you know and but you could like write a book of reasons why you wouldn't work and all those reasons were correct right It, it truly is like a moonshot kind of deal like so when this thing started sort of like, you know, like few people working on it, few people sort of starting to adopt it, we, we were still sort of like, you know, learning about it. And, and you know, I don't have an a economics background, right? Absolute idiot about economics then, right? Like zero. You know, and also I was looking at that from like, you know, technical perspective, right? And, you know... It was like, oh, wow. So, you know, like, this is cool. So we built a tool for it uh, called BTC Look. Uh, it was our first little project for Bitcoin that was public. And uh, it was essentially a blockchain explorer for Bitcoin. Uh, we built that so we could understand Bitcoin. And in those days, all Bitcoin blockchain fit in RAM. So we had it running on Redis. It was really cool. It was tiny. And they're like, okay, cool. We like this thing. It's interesting, right? It still might not go anywhere, right? Yeah, it's uh, cool. And uh, so they were like, okay, well, you know, Bitcoin is for payments. I mean, the money goes from my computer to your computer. And that was my sort of mind-blown moment, right? So we're like, okay, let's make Bitcoin payments, right? So uh, we we developed a Bitcoin debit card, first Bitcoin debit card and Bitcoin debit machines. Uh, there could also be exchanges for people to replace Western Union in like convenience stores, right? And, and this is like 2013. Okay. So like we, we have this product curve. on the market like late 2012. Uh I, I think BTC look was maybe 2011, late 2011, I can't remember. So so we launched this thing in 20 late 2012, I think. And, you know, like we actually sold quite a few debit cards and, you know, debit machines and stuff. And it's like sort of like all over the world. You could go to some restaurants, pay with the debit card. I actually have one here. Um, Very cool. Oh, that is cool. And uh, but, you know, like this is absolutely too early. <laughs> like it's like so stupid, like yeah. so stupid. Nobody else like, gives a shit at this point. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, and uh you know, we're not even a Silk Road blowing up yet, right? Like, this is very early. Um, and, and you know, like, we're, like, completely hit the market sort of, like, limit, right? Like, there is no more market for this thing. So we're like, okay. And, and we couldn't find a wallet that was good enough for, for us to, to handle our payment terminals and stuff. So, you know, we go and we build sort of Bitcoin HSMs, hardware security modules, right? So the first Bitcoin servers, essentially, that were like secure. Um, and we, we sort of like build the whole infrastructure. It looks essentially like what we would define before crypto was a word, a crypto bank. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, like people see this as value, right? So, and we charge people for you to deposit and, and we hold the BTC for you, or we hold it in multi-sig a little bit later on. And we have exchanges like BitMEX using us as the backend kind of thing. And, you know, this starts to grow and grow and grow. And we're just, you know, a couple guys and a dog, right, in Canada. And, and we're like, okay, great. So, like, now there is, like, $4 billion worth of Bitcoin in the system. We are absolutely paranoid about this. This is not what I want to do in my life. So we're like, you know what, fuck this. 
you know, it's like break even kind of business. It's too early. We're like, you know, I'm done. I don't want to run servers for Bitcoin. I don't want to be a centralized point of failure. So we close down the system. <laughs> we like, you know, take your money out. I don't want it. Like, please get out of here. We're closing this down. You know, when you guys started this, like having $4 billion under your, you know, stewardship, that is some serious <laughs> business to be worried. I like not blowing that up and, and you know what I mean? Like, that's a lot to yeah, take on no, it, from it's, maybe uh, not suspecting you would get that far that fast. It's, uh, it's kind of fascinating, right? Because it just shows you the power of Bitcoin, right? Like, it's it, it truly like remarkable that like, you know, a couple guys in a diff, like, you know, in a small country can sort of like just through just pure technology, right? Like, like take on all that, that economical value right? Like into their system just because Bitcoin is fucking awesome. And if you build products that, that truly use Bitcoin the way Bitcoin is meant to be used, like, you know, it just works. It, yeah. it, it's so cool. If you build it, they will come on this protocol if it's a good product. That's yep. right. Uh, so then we closed that down and we, we focused on Open Dime, which was sort of like a, a hobby pet project we had. We launched that, launched that on the market, which is the, the physical Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. Product. Uh, and then we couldn't find a, a wallet for us to use, right? Like, so we started Cold Card as a, uh, like a DIY sort of project for us to use. You know, everybody and their mother who knew what we were doing were like, you know, I want one as well. So we're like, okay, great. Let's make this into a commercial project. And then we understood the value of making it into a commercial project. Uh, DIY wallets are not very safe. Let's put it this way. You're not really leveraging the economies of scale. It, it, you know, it's not as feel good, but right. it's like what you need for money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that sort of grow into what it is. Just for people listening that may not be familiar, an open dime is, it's like a little SD card looking thing with that you can load Bitcoin onto and then it's a bearer asset. So you can hand it off to somebody and then there's, there's a cool little pinhole that you pop in and maybe you could fill us in on exactly what that does. Is that complete a circuit or how does yeah, that, so how does it that work? It breaks a circuit. It breaks a circuit. So, yeah, but, you know, technically we don't even need that. We could have done it that always software. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot more fun. And the original, you actually had to break a piece off. Yeah. It's taking uh, your open dimes virginity is what you're doing. Exactly. You're, you're popping the cherry and then you get to spend yes. your Bitcoin. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they're very satisfying, right? To physically like deal take with virginity it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> extremely satisfying exactly well i would say it's similar to breaking into a house on fire and like, truly demolishing that door even though it was just a tiny little bit of a fire which i'm Correct. sure you guys was yeah we've never done that and no we're yeah. never guilty of that at all we don't do excess <laughs> damage at all there is a toaster just making smoke the guys just demolish the door for it we, and we, we break have, the windows too we, yeah, we exactly. can't Why not, be too right? safe we have this neighboring department that's, I mean, all firemen are notorious for this, but one of our neighbors is just incredible Hulk on every single fire. I mean, you you got tiny bit of lazy smoke pushing out of an oven and every fucking window and door in the house is destroyed. Yeah. $500 worth of damage from the fire? Well, we're here's 10000 <laughs> Rodolfo, question on uh, more holistic Bitcoin adoption with how early you were engaged with this thing. When did it go from far-fetched but cool to holy crap this thing could actually work and grab significant market cap and and change the world what, what was the inflection point for you I, I think there were many 
right? So people have to put this into perspective, right? When Bitcoin came out in the first few years, we're like, are we maybe going to jail for handling this thing? Because everybody was going to jail, right? The Liberty Reserve guys, you know, big gold guys had their, like, it was, it was not a uh, not dangerous idea, <laughs> right? Right. So, so that was that initially. And then, so there was a concern, and it was fully capturable at that time, right? I mean, if, if, if he got, if he had gotten enough uh, attention from the wrong people at that time, he could have been killed, right? Uh, you know, just round up everybody, scare everybody shitless, and, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe it would continue a little bit, but, you know, could have been killed. And then, um, you know, when Silk Road busted and Bitcoin was still running, Right. I mean, that was sort of like, okay, I mean, maybe they they are not coming after Bitcoiners, right? And then, you know, in about twenty fourteen there was a conference in, in Holland that attracted a lot of business, a lot of normies, a lot of finance people. That's kind of like when the finance people started to come in. And we're like, ooh. So like all these normies are moat. Right, like, yeah. You know, the state is not gonna put normies in jail, right? Right. Even though we're not doing anything wrong, right? Like we're not breaking even any laws, but you know how it is, right? Yeah. If the you cavalry, yeah, the there, cavalry arrived. You're like exactly, okay. yeah. They just so we're never... like, okay, great. So bring more of the bring more of the normies, right? Um, and then sort of like progressively just became more of that, right? So like, it starts to become a problem. And I really think that around like 2017 or so, it really solidified that where it's like you have now real businesses out there like Fidelity, right? Putting real money into this thing. The state can't just like go and, and break it because normies lose money. And if normies lose money, they don't vote for those politicians, right? Yeah, this game so theory is it beautiful, isn't it? It creates this cycle. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's what I... I I mean, people are getting kind of the ruffled feathers on Twitter because the progressives have started making their, you know, people are starting to understand from the left side of the aisle, like how useful this is. And I think it's great. Like, I don't care what your political ideology is like Bitcoin isn't going to change and it's probably going to change the way you think about things more likely than you're going to have any effect on it. So I mean, welcome. Yeah, it is ironic, like we were saying in the last episode that. Yes, Bitcoin does capture a lot of the progressive ethos. Like it, it hopefully will reduce the wealth gap and provide equal opportunity. But with one large caveat, and that's that it's going to absolutely sever the head off the spigot that the nation state uses to grow. So there's this like interesting irony in that, yes, it could accomplish many goals on the left, but it's going to do it in a way that's going to scare them shitless. But hey, I agree with you, Josh. Like, bring bring it on. It's it. Bitcoin is for everyone. Exactly. Yeah, you know what I say is Bitcoin is available to everyone. <laughs> it's not for everyone. It's like you know, if you don't have money, you know, you can't buy Bitcoin, right? It, it, it's like the poor people's problem is not having money, you know. First, right? <laughs> then right. Where to store it? That's you know, true. Bitcoin solves that. Um, I I think the lefty folks. I think they're in for a rude awakening, you know, on Bitcoin is because, you know, I, I was a sort of uh, uh, Occupy Wall Street kind of person, right? Like, it, it's like, fuck these guys, right? But that's because they're cantillionaires, right? They are yeah. gaming the system. 
but that's where I stop, right? Th these other guys, they sort of like keep on going into let's re just redistribute all the stuff. And Bitcoin yeah. breaks all that. I mean, if Bitcoin works, you cannot have social programs. No. It's over. Absolutely yeah. over. I mean, listen, if you want to, to give your house for people to live in it, wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it'll hopefully you believe in charity, right? But like, aside from that, I mean, it, it truly is over. Like, I mean, people don't understand that all social services nowadays come from printing money. There is not enough taxes to even cover, you know, uh, fire hydrants. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, it's going to have to, like, people are going to have to make a decision. And obviously this, like, this could hit home for us and even our career for sure. In that people are going to have to make a decision on a hard money standard, what they want to pay for. Like, yep. How, what welfare programs do you want? How big do you want these government agencies to be? This, that, and the other thing. But it's going to have to be a decision that taxpayers and voters actually make instead of just being handed and then shadow taxed via inflation. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a voluntary system, right? And the thing is, right now is optional, but Bitcoin won't be optional anymore when you don't have a choice but to buy the only sound money left. I mean, think about all these paradigm shifting technologies. They're no longer optional. Like the printing press isn't optional. If you don't read and take in information, you're fucked. The internal combustion isn't really optional. I mean, the Amish are trying to make a go of it in Pennsylvania, but they're pretty much obsoleted and pushed to the edges of society. The internet's not optional. Like if you don't like TCP IP, good luck having a career. The same is going to be true with this. It's just going to take time for us to get there and it's going to be an interesting road for sure. I want to go back to the, like this progressive idea, like this Occupy Wall Street. Like I, I think the the mis misnomer that a lot of people on that side misunderstand is that there's two kinds of rich people. There's people that are contillionaires, as you spoke of, that are at the you know money spigot, getting rich from and and getting bloated from you know this kind of cheat code they have. And then Stealing. there's people, yeah, exactly. And then there's people in the world <laughs> building real products that people want. And if that's the route that you take to get wealthy, that is admirable by any measure, you know, you're, you're adding value to the world. Um, Jeff Bezos, I mean, maybe not the best example, but the guy literally built a company where I can order something from my bed and it'll be here tomorrow. He it's has amazing. huge value into the world, you know, or, and you're building, you know, the cold card, which is a huge benefit to a lot of people. I hope you're ultra wealthy and I hope you keep getting there. But I, yeah, that, that's the massive difference that people just don't seem to understand or grasp is that it's not evil to have money and get wealthy. It's only evil if you do it at someone else's expense. The problem is it's all blurred right now. Like every from the from the other side, everybody's lumped into that same category. There's not this distinction because the wealth gap's widening and things aren't fair for a lot of other individuals. People are not equal, right? I mean, I can't play basketball. Fuck, I can't even reach the hoop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, you on know? that. So, no, but seriously, right? So it's like, you know, I would never be a basketball player, right? We are all unequal. Right. So, you know, some people are just never going to be good at writing code or some people are never going to be good at writing text or whatever, right? Um, and so I believe that a, a minimum of a Pareto uh, uh, ratio, right? So 20% of the people are going to have the majority of the wealth. It's just because, you know, these people are more productive, right? Or they do things that the market favors more. Right. right. That's fair. What, what's unfair is, you know, you working your hard, like your, your ass off and then, you know, the savings you have getting debased 
you, you, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, because you know, some asshole thinks that somebody else deserves to get a grant to paint a mural. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like it's like <laughs> you literally just saved lives as a firefighter, and then you go and you save the little money that they give you in a bank account, and then the government goes like, eh, you know, we're gonna debase this. Somebody else can go paint a mural. Yeah, you're you're dead on. I I agree. And it, it's just, this is lost on 90% of the population, which grows increasingly infuriating when you understand the dynamic, but your heart goes out to them. And that's where, you know, one of our missions here is just to spread the word, make people aware of this dynamic, because at least in the environment we're at, at this stage in the macro cycle, it could get pretty ugly the next 10 or 20 years if you're not aware of this and looking for ways to protect yourself. It's a lifeboat. That's, that's what Bitcoin is, right? It's like a portal into another dimension of store of value. You either jump in it, everybody gets one cantillion effect chance per unit, right? <laughs> yeah. We're all, you know, listen, we, we live in North America, right? So we are beneficiaries of the cantillionaire effect to a certain extent. For sure. Right? And, you know, especially if you have credit, right? Like you managed to buy a house in North America, you're benefiting from a cantillionaire effect in some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you get a one unit per unit. And the earlier you buy the Bitcoin with that unit, <laughs> you know, the better continuing effect you get. But it's a one time effect per right. unit. Yeah, this is a very rare opportunity we're presented with. And that is that is a fact that's lost on a lot of people like this. This monetization of an asset like this is only going to happen once. It's not going to be there's yep. not going to be another one. And it's still early. <laughs> It's very early. Yes. I think this this current dip, not that we're going to spend all episode talking about this, but it's reminding me how early we are. Like, it's yeah. not that we're OGs, but having been around for almost five years, like I'm blown away at the way people are reacting to this correction right now. Um, and yeah, you just see, you see how low. much froth there is in the market and how many people don't understand what they're dealing with. No fundamentals have been violated. Nothing has been infringed upon in terms of the value proposition of this thing. And people are running around like chickens with their heads cut off because the price is cut off 30%. I think what people don't get right now is that big pockets, they already understand the Bitcoin value prop. And these guys are thinking 50 years ahead, right? So, so these are extremely latecomer big pockets, right? They heard about Bitcoin from... You know, like sailor, let's put it like that, that kind of cohort. These guys already get it. They're accumulating. They know the price is going to crash. The, the, the old Wall Street boys are already buying themselves. They know how to play a market. Right. You, you yes, know, crypto do. traders don't understand how good Wall Street guys are. Right. Yeah. And, and these guys are playing you guys like beautifully, like <laughs> playing the market beautifully. Right. And, and you know, and, and Bitcoiners are selling the coins cheap to them. And these guys are going to take, you know, 10 years to accumulate. So, like, they don't care. Unless retail comes in and forces their hand with an 80K pump, right? right. These guys are going to take their sweet time to the next heavening. Yeah. yeah. And they have to because if one of those guys steps in and overdoes it a bit, they cause that retail FOMO to rocket back in because these, these you know, these Wall Street bro traders are, uh, they're, they're, they're keen on jumping onto any momentum train, you know? These are talented people, man. Yeah. Do you get like, so with your, this is a, 
curious with your following on Twitter, because we're we're still small, but we're escalating a little bit and we're getting some of the riffraff, like people DMing you, like, what the fuck? You know? Are you get are you getting some of like how often do you get this stuff when the price cuts back? Oh, I, I don't get any because you know, I, I don't think there is anybody left who follows me who 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 <laughs> Like, you know, I'm literally saying, right, like, we're going to walk for another 40 years in the desert because of your DJ longs, you know, like, yeah. like, I, I'm very blunt about this stuff. I'm not like, you know, I don't have the power to save the Bitcoin price, essentially. Yeah. So I'm perfectly happy being very blunt and honest, <laughs> you know, on the bird app. You should write something up about that. The 40 years in the desert for the, <laughs> the Jews that go back to Israel for the Bitcoiners right. to make it to a million. It might yeah. be. <laughs> it's like as long as the DGN, you know, longs and shorts keep on happening, we're going to walk in the desert, man. I don't it think is that's so stop funny to watch the behavior, though. I mean, th this has been said a hundred times, but everybody says they're going to wait for a dip. And then when it comes, we're in bear market doldrums and this thing's going to die. So, I, I mean, it's uh, it's a little bit exhausting to watch people flip so quick but dude it's it's not ending anytime not soon we're, we're in the beginning right? of the adoption curve and the the there's going to be so much froth in this market for so long as we ebb and flow and adoption grows so you want more froth than nfts <laughs> i mean i'm selling you a picture that i can have a copy <laughs> you know that's pure froth right but you know like bear markets are a gift like they're amazing because one, they give people uh, who understand it a chance to accumulate more at a better price. But most importantly, they quiet everything down, right? So we can actually work. You, you know, like I can go back and go build things and, you know, like do stuff. And there is a lot less sort of like of the, of that intense sort of like vibe of war, right? Like it, it, it's, uh, it's a lot more, you know, like heads down, go work on stuff, you know, remember that, you know, like, you're not going to be buying this or buying that. It's just like, sort of like, okay, you know, back to work, back to accumulation. I love that. It's yeah. cleansing. This is a very different cycle than we've seen. Um, just like, so to me, watching all this play out, we saw that China FUD knock it out 50%. And I thought, well, maybe this is over possibly for the next couple of years. But then as it rose again back above and I was like, OK, it double top of this thing. Like it's I've never seen this happen in this market. I figured if it's going to break that high, it's probably going to go for a while here. And that was surprising to me when it fell out again. You know, every time every time people think they understand Bitcoin, Bitcoin <laughs> will humble them very fast. Oh, yes, it's it just beautiful. <laughs> I mean, all the Bitcoiners tried to to buy the last dip and everybody ran out of pow dry powder, right? Like, yep. th this is the problem with the price right now. Like, the price is in the 40s and all the Bitcoiners have, like, zero left to buy. <laughs> <laughs> Hand raised over here. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's yeah, true. If you, if you knew true. when Broncos were going to buck, you'd never, you'd stay on the horse. You know, this thing's a majestic beast, but it's unpredictable. and Completely. You say it on this show, markets move in the direction of most pain. I mean, we constantly yep. compare notes like, what are you feeling? Are you like, are you in peak, like emotionally, are you feeling peak despair? Because we're probably about to go to the moon. Are you feeling euphoria? Yeah. We're about to get fucked, brother. It's you know? possible too, right? I mean, I, seriously, I could toss a coin right now and I'd be able to tell you with 50% certainty that the price is going to like par parabola up now because we're like one 
sort of like big buy from going up, or it could literally go all the way down to 20 right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, it's kind of funny about these on chain guys. I'm not going to call any of them out specifically, but it's like every two or four years we recycle into some new ones because the old ones were wrong and everyone's like, well, this guy's an asshole. Fuck off. And we're going to find some new guys that are going to tell us all the sweet fairy tales we want to hear next time. You know, that's right. <laughs> and the poor guys who do the TA itself, it's like they're not even like they're they're being very honest. Right. right. Like, I'm not well, saying they're bad guys. Are. They're just it's like they're saying, hey, listen. This is what I read on the tea leaves going this way or that way, right? But then, like, the people who want to believe they're going to get rich tomorrow, right? They go and they trade. They go, like, full in on that trade, Can right? you imagine what their DMs must look like? <laughs> oh, my God. Death threat. Can't imagine. It is hilarious, though, when you say to somebody, like I said this to a friend this week, I said, I don't know whether we're going to 17,000 or 170,000. I just know you need some of this shit. Like, but that doesn't make any sense to someone. They're like, what the fuck are you talking about? How in the world it, could it do one of know, those two things? I've been telling people to buy Bitcoin since it was very little. And, it, you know, it sucks because you tell your friend to buy, right? Because you want your friend to be rich with you, right? Yeah. And then say they don't buy, right? And then the price pumps and then they buy and then the price crashes. And then your friend looks at you like, like you're some fucking asshole. I'm like, just hold, like, you know, like just... Just hold. Like I told you, this shit is going to probably crash, but buy yeah. anyways, right? And then the people who survive a few cycles, right? They start to get it, right? That like, this, this thing is deterministic. Like seriously, it's like, that's why my, my handle is the deterministic optimism, right? Is because it either goes to the moon or it goes to zero. There is no other place for this to go because if mm. Bitcoin doesn't go to the moon, something else will come and beat its game, right? Yep. Like it's a market, right? Bitcoin is the best pony by like a million percent, but it doesn't like, it doesn't mean Seabiscuit is not coming before it behind <laughs> you, right? <laughs> so like it, it, it's important to understand that. And I can't remember who did this, but... Uh, somebody brought up the Morpheus quote on the cave on uh, Matrix Reload or whatever it was. He, 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 you know, and, and it's so true. It's like this prophecy may not be true, right? But it's the only one we have. <laughs> so let's hope it is true. <laughs> let's bet on it, right? Like, because there really is nothing else. Yeah. Yeah, there really isn't. Speaking of the Matrix, don't watch the latest movie if you guys have. I won't. It's terrible. It's... <laughs> It's embarrassingly bad. Rule of life. Don't watch sequels after the third. Yeah. The first one should have just been on its own. Rodolfo, what's a, do you guys have any products you guys have cooked up and not created or something you guys are, that you can tell us about that you're working on that's new and exciting? Oof. So, so we have like a whole room of new shit that's like, you know, either very early or never going to make it. Uh, <laughs> like, it's like, it's a lot of stuff. Um, the problem is we only have so many hands. We're actually hiring because we need more people to, to make more stuff. We, we do have a couple products that I'm going to show to you guys, but we're not going to say out loud what it is. So we're going to launch this two cool new things here. Ooh, and ah. uh, and uh, we're going to have information in, in like probably a couple of months, I think. Hopefully. We just saw some cool shit. That's all we can uh, tell you. And uh, so, so that, that should be fun. Uh, we hope that with these, we can, uh, we can sort of 
really have a hardware answer to like mainstream yeah as as like and also poor like you know you can afford this yeah that's a that's a great plan because so, so many people are intimidated by cold cards i mean it's so once you have someone kind of you watch a video or you, you know have someone hold your hand it's easy but it's very intimidating because there's so many options for a lot of people yeah it, it's like i'm not gonna compromise cold card security or 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 capability because of people that don't understand bitcoin yet period right Cold card is a product for us. <laughs> we will say that we do have individuals we know that this has been their first hardware wallet solution and it's worked fine. You know, we were talking a little bit before the show. There's gradients of how you can use these cold cards. I mean, you can go to the nth degree, but you can start fairly simple in, in a manner that any individual can accomplish. It may look slightly more, quote unquote, intimidate, uh, intimidating than a treasure or a ledger. But really, practically, it's not. And so Josh is actually the one that's kind of we sometimes powwow and say, like, all right, what are we going to recommend to our buddies at work? And I think we're both moving towards just start with a cold card. You can yep. you can use it in its most simplest fashion and it's doable for anyone. You know, I, I think there's two things going on, right? One is a lot of our competitors can compete on on security features and just a technical sort of know how of this thing. So they come up with these narratives of like, oh, you know, like cold card is great, but it's hard to use. You, you, do you know what I mean? It, yeah. It's like it, it, it's like saying, you know, like a, a fast BMW is hard to drive. No, you can drive slow if you want, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. bullshit, right? But fine, you know, like you 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 tell yourself what you need to tell yourself, right? So so that you know you exist, and 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 then. But the thing about the cold card is that, like, if you want to use it the same way that you use a Trezor Ledger, like, you, you you can do that. Like, you plug it in, and it takes one minute. We're actually making a video of the simplest way of using it. Uh, and we were making the video, and we're like, so the video is two minutes long. Like, what? why we even need a video? But we're going to make the video anyways, right? And, yeah. and let people have it. Uh, but I... I there is something that is super important to me. I don't think that people that don't understand Bitcoin should have any meaningful amount of Bitcoin. Because if you're still at a point where, you know, you're intimidated by a device or you can't understand what's going on, the terms, you're probably going to get racked, regardless if you have a hardware wallet or not, right? So I find like the cold yeah. card at least like forces you to learn those terms. Mm -hmm. Right and learn what's going on because we don't want you to get like you know uh, um, uh, socially engineered or you know somebody asks you your CD you don't know what that is right right like we want you to at least comprehend what's going on and and I think that realistically speaking most people who have any meaningful amount of Bitcoin do go that route you know I I always joke that like you know I, I joke I'm friends with the guys from Ledger uh, that like you know they are my sales funnel. <laughs> you know, like right. they they catch the shit coiners and the new coiners, and then like you know, as they understand Bitcoin, they come to my product. Yeah, I think uh, that's probably very very true, honestly, because that's where I started, and cold cards where I ended. Yeah, right. It, Ledger's it's, like edging until you blow your load on a cold card. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, <laughs> edging can be fun, but it's not a game. <laughs> I I totally hear what you're saying though, Rodolfo, and that. This is a conundrum that 
befuddles many a Bitcoiner, which is you're telling your friends you need to cold store your Bitcoin. Okay. Yes. But if they're not ready for that, then they can't do it. I mean, they have to take ownership over this process themselves. It's not hard, but if they're not the least bit interested in it and have no commitment to undertake the 20 minute process that it is, and they're not going to figure it out for themselves and their family, then they can't do it. And so that's like buying a gun, right? Like you don't just walk into Walmart, buy a gun and think you can do self-defense or whatever, right? Like we don't have self-defense in Canada guns. We only have them for bears, but you're supposed um, to get shot if someone breaks in your house, right? No, but like, that's the right thing to do. (laughs) It's like, you have to, you have to, uh, to, to, to like understand how the thing works, right? Like it's like you have to understand you know if ammo does, right? Where, where the bullet goes, right? Like which hole do you look at, right? Like no, that's a that's a really good example. I've never thought about it that way, but you're right. Like taking custody of this is dangerous if you don't understand. Just like, you know, dealing with your guns. Like cleaning your gun is a bad idea if you don't even understand how it works and you're gonna end up shooting a hole in the it's, wall. You know, Bitcoin is self it's like self-responsibility. Right, it's taking on responsibility for your uh, uh, custody of your store of value. Right, most people will use banks and will use custodial solutions because they want to outsource their responsibility. Right, mm-hmm. and that comes with risks. But you know there will be a ratio that's much bigger than the re- than the legacy financial system who will self custody their new asset. Right. And, but it's not for everybody. And I think we need to come to that sort of, we need to accept that, that like, at least now it's available with dollars. It wasn't because you guys are firefighters. You probably know that if you had like, you know, like a few duffels, how many duffels it takes to make a million dollars, right? That's when people don't understand how much paper you need to have money. And then what, you're going to just keep it in the house, duffel bags of cash. It burns. Yeah. Yep. Right. And then gold you know, I was joking that like, you know, a person that has $30 million worth of gold, okay, needs to take a toddler worth of gold through an airport. It's 30 pounds. You can't fit that much up your ass, people. Not No. I mean, I don't know. Maybe some people <laughs> you can, can try. but like, yeah. if you can, you should start a, 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 a podcast. <laughs> Did you guys see the guy from... <laughs> there was a guy in India who was trying to smuggle out. I don't remember how much it was, but he actually... <laughs> He melted the gold into the shape of a, a phallus and he shoved it up his ass and he got caught somehow. I think it was because he was walking funny and they had him searched and they found a gold dildo up his ass trying Listen, to sneak it, it out of the country. I mean, Bitcoin is so much easier than shoving a gold dildo up your ass. I gold like this podcast. It's a shit coin. The gold <laughs> <Literally>. dildo podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Now, it, it's a self custody is something that people have to wrap their heads around. Uh, I think it's going to still improve a lot. Maybe future crypto- cryptography technology will help us to even not need hardware wallets anymore. That's my hope. Maybe, you know, it, it's true for all technologies, right? When they come out, you need sort of custom devices that are specific to what they do. And, you know, but as things develop, who knows? Maybe one day you don't need them anymore. Right, maybe maybe it becomes so tr- like like easy, easy, dumb, easy, right? Uh, but remember, every time something technically technical is easy, it means it's being abstracted to you. So you're trusting that easy layer. That right. is an attack vector. Yep. I I want to ask you, um, what's your opinion on Umbral? 
I know you're deep in the, I mean, you guys are as deep as anybody into the technical rabbit hole of this. Dan and I are, I mean, very not, we're not tech savvy people. Like we can make a number of node work running anything more complex than that was a huge pain in the ass. I, I gave up on it until Umbral. How, I mean, I know it's better than like using a Trezor and going through Trezor servers, using your say Umbral with Sparrow wallet with your cold card. Is that probably one of the optimum setup for somebody who's non-tech savvy as far as you're concerned? What is there a better recommendation? So, I mean, as I love Umbro and I love those guys. Um, I think what they're trying to do is very cool. Uh, I am an absolute Raspberry Pi hater. I think it's a shit computer that is amazing for people that cannot afford a computer. Um, and I think if you're going to run an Umbro, don't install anything on that Umbro aside from core and whatever auxiliary service you need, right? Like say Electrum server or whatever, yeah. nothing else. Um, I think, you know, you're gaining privacy there, but if you're accessing, say, you know, Electrum via Tor to block streams servers for, for Electrum, you know, it's not like, the, the chances of you getting pound on that node, you know, and, and, you know, you leaking privacy versus leaking privacy to via Tor to uh, uh, block streams, uh, uh, public Electrum server only, you know, it's kind of like starts to become kind of almost the same. Okay. Um, uh, I, I think it's, I think, see, this is the thing. Umbral projects like that are a great way for people to learn and get into this, right? You should be learning your own node. But here's another cool thing. You don't need to run more than core on a laptop only when you're gonna span. What most people don't understand is running a node, it, it means absolutely nothing. It does nothing to the network. We don't care about your node. <laughs> you can spin up 10,000 nodes. It, it does nothing to Bitcoin, okay? What matters is economical actors self-validating transaction when we talk about running a node that's really what technically means it means that you open your laptop you sync core on your version of core that you believe is the correct version of core right and it either accepts or 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 deny blocks right so you're validating your transactions and then you're broadcasting your transactions that's what running a node means, okay? Having computers wasting electricity does not do anything. Now, if you're doing lightning and other things, that's a different story altogether, right? Now you need the, the nodes running like full-time and doing stuff, but that's lightning. That's not base layer Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good point, though. You're spinning, the, ultimately, you're spinning up a node to have assurance of your own transactions and interaction with the blockchain. Now, we often find like umbrella, like we're like run a node, participate, and then once they have it up, then they see the utility of okay, now I'm gonna get Sparrow and I'm gonna route my treasure, my cold card through it, and I'm gonna do you know. But like, I I do totally hear what you're saying. Like that's the purpose and intent behind having a node is using it for your own shit. Yep, it's uh, it it, it truly is like. What, what people sort of like refuse to, to accept, I think it's mostly because most people are not through capitalists yet. 
or or through understand like and I mean this in a good way, sort of like people don't fully understand free markets yet. They don't understand if like voluntary systems, they don't understand Bitcoin yet. Bitcoin is a selfish game. And Bitcoin gamed selfish behavior for its defense. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin monetizes selfishness in a way that protects the network so that we don't have majority rule. Right? Essentially, Bitcoin is the it's the absolute opposite of democratization and democracy. <laughs> there is no voting in Bitcoin. There is your node, your rules. You either agree with everybody else who you want to do business with and remains on that chain, right? Or you fork off. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where maybe I misunderstood what you were saying, because I think running a node, um, assuming you're like if Umbrella just pushes you an update and you say yes every single time and there's an update and Bitcoin has another Bitcoin cash split and Umbrella decides we're going to push that on everybody and you just hit yes. Now, maybe you didn't understand what you were doing. There's, there's some, you know, there's some, now you're guess, big <laughs> exactly, but you may not have understood that because yeah. you know what I'm saying? So I, I completely understand your point of view on that, but I think it's, I think people should run it number one to learn. And w- once you learn and understand this thing, then you can actually have some say in like, am I going to stay on main Bitcoin's main chain or am I following the new Bitcoin cash split here? And how is this, you know what I mean? How does this all work? That's why I love all these sort of like node packaging projects like so uh umbro uh ras blitz my node these are great ways for average people to get their feet wet with this stuff which is very different than validating your life savings on right so get it run i mean it's like you know i have a bunch of stupid hobbies right like you know i have like a stack of amateur radios here you know does it mean i'm contributing to no it's like it's me having fun, right? But then, like, for their actual real money, run core on a, on a computer that, like, you control the updates, you control everything else, and that's how you self-validate. Or, or at least find a, a set of compromise on that setup that sort of, like, that, that you progressively become more self-reliant, uh, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, mind you, like, Bitcoin is so amazing. That and this is one of the biggest sort of features of the Bitcoin protocol design is that it's backwards compatible, right? Um, so you can go, you can still run clients that only do legacy address, so one addresses, right? Uh, instead of SegWit addresses, they will run and they will sync, right? And you can still validate your old one address coins on those and never update. Yeah. So so, so like. You don't even have to make a decision regarding your, ch- your fork you're going to take or whatever for a while. Very similar to Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> so if I so the question I have then after discussing these umbral nodes and things, if I want to create, and I, and I know this is all dependent on like your technical ability and all that, but let's just say I have a million dollars in Bitcoin that I want to secure and I don't trust a counterparty. I want to do this myself. What would be your viewpoint as the optimal setup for yourself if you had intermediate technical chops like say i know i understand how to run multi-sig i understand the implications that and everything i need to do to to set that up and what would be your recommendation for like would you run your own node would you want would you prefer to point it at blockstream how would you set that up i mean 
it depends, right? If you think you're gonna fuck it up, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe the 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 Blockstream server is or or some other server that you trust might be uh, one way to go about it. I, I think running core. Uh, so, so for a person that doesn't really know how to set up Electrum server, which is very hard, um, maybe just running core with Spectre desktop or Wasabi, mm-hmm. which automatically connects to that core local instance, right? And, and having code card plugged to it, boom. Like, it, it's like a million better setup than anything else, right? Because like you literally really dedicated laptop, Spectre, yeah. get it, you know, download the node there, and that's just the computer you use for Bitcoin. That's, that's it. Okay. That's it. Don't shit where you eat. Yep. Love it. All right. What about Sparrow? How do you, what are your thoughts on Sparrow? I, I love it. But the problem, too, is that it, it requires the Electrum network, right? Which is great if you understand how to maintain your privacy on the open network or if you're running your own Electrum server, which is harder for people to set up. Uh, so, I absolutely love Sparrow. One thing, one point that I'm confused on, and this is about Umbral, so I'm not sure how familiar you are with it. When you use Sparrow to hook up to your Umbral node, it calls it an Electrum server. So I'm yep. a bit confused about <clears throat> what's going on there. Like, as I thought it was so, running core, why is it not calling yeah. it a core? So Electrum servers don't talk to the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay, they are just a way to index all the transactions and search the transactions better. Because Core does it in a way that's like very hard to use uh, um, like for your daily transactions. Well, not anymore. It used to be much slower. But anyways, point is, Electrum server is just a layer to, to read and understand the blockchain data from a node. So you have Bitcoin Core. Electrum server reads the transactions from Core, indexes it. And then your, your Electrum client, like Sparrow or Electrum, reads the index of transactions from the Electrum server. So essentially, you just stuck a, a layer in between. Now, if you're using Spectre, for example, or Wasabi, they talk directly to RPC on, on Bitcoin Core. So it, it's like one less layer. It's Spectre, Bitcoin Core. So both are great. Both have their own sets of trade-offs. Uh, it's just, it really depends on your sort of like skill level and what you want to do. Uh, that's how you maybe choose. Um, Spectre is amazing. Uh, also very good software, very well reviewed. Okay. I've used it and Sparrow. I've just lately been leaning towards Sparrow because it seems a bit more, it's a little quicker, like in, in more user, it just seems more user-friendly as well. But it, yeah, yeah. There, there, I think, I think like software will progress, uh, we're still early in the UI. See, the problem is there is no money in wallets. <laughs> Software wallets are a terrible way for you yeah. to find yourself a job. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Terrible. It's unfortunate that people don't contribute at all either. You know, like most people are sending them like a few most bucks. Most people can't even, yeah, but, you know, it's what I like to say, like donationware is not a business model, right. right? Like you can't depend on donations. You know, Electrum is maintained because, you know, it's one of the, it's, one of the first Bitcoin projects on top of Bitcoin. Um, and there is enough people who use it, who maintain it or fund maintainability because that, that's what they use, right? Uh, we were contributors of, of some of, of Electrum before. Um, but I, I think as wallet developers find a business model for wallets, software wallets, or um, they get engulfed into hardware wallets, or 
they um or they find like you know markets where people are willing to pay subscription or or like maybe that sort of grows as well you will find better software right mm -hmm. now you know the problem is like ux people and design people um they are not very compatible in how they think and how they do work like devs are so it devs it's like here's a problem whoever makes this ticket go away right like whoever fixes this code like gets money right like, yeah but with design is hard because a designer cannot uh, uh produce the final product the designer can go and make the design yay cool it's pretty but now who's gonna code that well now you need to find somebody else to code that too right so it, it, it's a tricky problem it's always been that's why almost all open source software is absolutely awful ux wise hmm. yeah. makes sense for somebody that's we have a very wide ranging audience we have people that we're talking beneath them right now and then we have a cohort that i'm sure we're talking way above them for so for the individual that's either already turned this off or is like holy shit uh i don't even have a hardware wallet yet um let's let's go from square one for the individual that's like all right I just made a purchase on this fucking Coinbase or Swan or whatever it is. I've accumulated some of this fake internet money that you guys say is going to be so freaking valuable. And I keep hearing this word cold storage. Let's talk to the walk that person through just the bare bones basics of what they need to do to cold store their Bitcoin. What is your yes. recommendation? So you go to coinkite.com, you go to the store, you buy yourself a cold card, probably get two uh, because you want to back up. And then you get them at home, you check the bag. There is a guide that takes you all through it. It's very easy. Like you open the bag, you can do the easiest way, which is you plug into a computer, okay? Uh, and, and then you connect that to Electrum. So if you want to get into details, this you get the bag, the device, you power the device on, the device is going to say, hey, check the bag number, you check the bag number. You set the pin, set the pin. And then he was like, generate a seed, write down the seed on paper. Remember, paper burns. So ideally, you got yourself a metal kit. And we have a kit for beginners there, right? So you get the metal, you write the seed on the metal, and then you connect to Electrum and you're good to go. Like, seriously, like, you know, if you're going to skip to your own research part, which most people shouldn't, but you're probably this this specific person you're describing is not going to do your own research you essentially just getting the device setting up the device and you're good to go right it's going to take like 20 minutes maybe 10 minutes um and then and it's so little money maybe you don't even care about the backup yet right you do the backup next time you decide to think about bitcoin uh it's not ideal but yeah listen you know not all audiences are going to make it right um so <laughs> So that's it. Like there really isn't much more to it. And then as you decide to sort of increase your security, increase your privacy, like there is other things you can do. We will link uh, those guides, the, the three kind of tiers of guides in the show notes. You may have a different recommendation, but I read through those again yesterday and I'm like, you know what? This is a really good, pretty comprehensive uh, set of guides for all gradients of experience. Yeah, it, it is so detailed. Econo Alchemist did like a fantastic job. It's like there is a picture of every single step 
like it is. does not get more detailed than that right yeah. like it, it, it's you, you can't fuck it up if you follow the instructions rtfm yep how big is the let me just change the subject here how big is the uh, your recommendation is obviously air gapping when you're using a cold card how what is what is the small i mean it's a very very small probability that you're going to have any issue plugging directly into the computer i would assume because most hardware wallets are doing it that way but um, how much risk are you introducing when you're when you're not air gapping? So, cold cards USB connection is like by a mile more secure than the other hardware hardware wallets on the market. Really, it, it, it is it is substantially more secure. Like the protocol is extremely tight. Uh, it, it, it's it's fairly fairly hardened, right? Um, so just wanted to put the caveat in there, but. We we like to to sort of do our security model encompassing unknowns unknowns, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know a bug that I don't know, mm. and I don't know an attack that I don't know. So, and this is like this goes back to the beginning of understanding of computer security, right? Like the military only does air gap shit. They do not have computers connected to the internet when they have real secrets in them, right? right. That, that is like, it's because you just don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah, so, it makes a lot of sense. And when you think about how sophisticated these actors could be in the future, not to scare anyone, but we're going to be yeah. talking, we're going to have cold cards with, we already do, and increasingly so, we're going to have cold cards with billions of dollars on them, okay, in the future we envision. The, the actors could be, incredibly sophisticated in the year 2038 trying to get at some of this money. So I, I just love the fact that you folks think that way. Like what is the foolproof option that's going to hold up for decades? Yeah. And so, so, you know, to start, we make 24 words default instead of 12, right? So like, you know, our 12 words, 128 bits breakable today, extremely unlikely, right? Is it going to be breakable in a few years? Extremely unlikely. Is it going to be breakable in the future? I don't know. So, you know what? Bitcoin uses 256 bits. We're going to use 256 bits, which is 24 words, right? Um, and we sort of like use this mentality with everything, right? Like, you know, we're not going to invent like custom specs for anything. We use BIPs, right? We only built code card because BIP 174 existed with PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transactions. We didn't want to make a custom uh, uh, a custom plugin for computers so that I don't want to, I don't want even want the wallet software to know it's using a cold card to sign ideally right hmm. so if the attacker doesn't know which wallet you have how it's stored how much money you have in it it becomes a very like costly attack right and lowering cost is what you want remember when you're talking about security oftentimes a good way to think it's like you don't have to run faster than the bear. You just have to run faster than the other guy. Right? <laughs> yeah. like, attackers are going to come after the low-hanging fruit first and then the other people after, right? Like, it's just going to keep on escalating. So, you know, the effort you'd have to come up with to hack a device that's offline, that's not connected, is like we're talking about now physical access, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because what you remove when you unplug the wire is the capacity of retrieval and synchronous attacks, right? Because the device is not connected. So you can't test your attack. You can't do attacks that, that have a closed loop, 
of understanding what's going on, right? It's like kind of like you're pushing and the thing pushes back, right? So you don't know what's going on when the device is disconnected. Now you have to go through extreme lengths like the US did with, with uh, a Stuxnet to go attack that, that uh, uh, uranium enriching plant in, in uh, 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 Iran, right? Like you have to write a virus that's going to go through USB to a guy who's going to stick it into the factory that then it's going to do some stuff there, right? Mm-hmm. They had to know ahead of time the design of the factory. Like it's just, it becomes so insane, the cost of attack. I mean, the Ledger guys spent like probably about a million dollars trying to break cold card. And, and, you know, they managed to take, to, to break the chip, not cold card itself. They broke the chip that we rely on to do some stuff. But even then, with the, with the current version, they, they were not able to, ex- to extract the actual seed. So, like, we don't have a seed extraction example to the, to the current extent, right? And is it possible it exists out there? Of course it is, right? And we are going to always play to the fact that we don't know. So we just try to create security scenarios and the design of the device in a way that it tries the best it can against the unknowns, right? So much so that the new device that we're working on just goes like batshit crazy on another level, right? <laughs> like, it's like, what can we do with the hardware that we have available to us and an economical viable solution, right? Because I could build you a thing that costs $2 million per unit, right? That, that will satisfy every single DOD requirement. But yeah. I can't do that for $100. <laughs> right. You had to get into Bitcoin in 2011 to 2013 to be able to afford such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and people go pretty crazy on those. Yeah. I mean, you're catering to a community that just is relentless. You know, I mean, there's just a never-ending drive to poke holes and and make this thing more robust. So yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to think of everything or you're going to get roasted in this space. Well, I mean, it's kind of like the way we like to describe it. Our devices are pinatas, right? It's like between competitors and bad guys. I mean, it's like, it's just all day long, <laughs> you know, like all day long. That's why traditionally, you know, no new team or new hardware is ever sort of trusted in the space, right? Like nobody will use their software for a couple of years at least. If you if you had to use something other than the cold card, NVK, what would it be? Um, so I, I think I'd use probably a mix of a ledger with like a, a Bitcoin core on a laptop uh, where I have passphrases and sort of try to 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 up the game there. Because... I wouldn't trust the ledger to generate the, the seed and I wouldn't trust it to do many things, but I know that team and I know the guys in there and I know how much security like they do. Uh, I cannot trust the device because it's closed source, right? Right. Uh, but at least I know that if a, a maid found my ledger on a desk, they can't take the money out for $13 like they can do with a Trezor, right? Like it's $13 to take the seed wait, out wait. of a Trezor, right? No, go on. Explain that because I'm—I've never heard that. So, they—they—they uh, they, they don't have any security, right? The devices—they—they're they're just using a general-purpose chip to store the secrets. So, the problem with that is, 
uh, you don't have hardware features on the chip that prevent somebody from doing, say, RF attacks, cheap, sh cheap shouter. If you Google the, the last Razor attack, you'd understand. Um, okay. So somebody with a $13 worth of parts and some knowledge, which you'd find on the internet, can go and dump the secrets out of that Trezor, right? So much so that, like, you know, the advice is, if you're going to use Trezor, use it with a passphrase, right? Because if somebody dumps the secret off the device, there is a passphrase. Okay, that's a good word of advice for Trezor. Use a passphrase with your Trezor. Oh, yeah. It, you know, it's a good team. It's an interesting project, but, you know, it just doesn't have security, right? Uh, um, and then on the Ledger side, that was the problem. It's like, you know, great. It has a lot of security, right? Is it lack certified? So like, it's kind of a big deal of how secure it is, but I cannot trust anything that it does because it's closed source. Yeah. So like, Do you envision so, all these wallets moving to a secure element? Like, is it well, then you have to, like, you don't have a choice really. Right. It, it feels you know, like that would be such a slam dunk move for say Trezor. Like you get a lot more interest from more hardcore Bitcoiners in their product. If they had the assurance that if somebody gets their hand on the device, that it, it wasn't so easy to extract. I, I think the problem is they're selling a design that was sort of invented in like, you know, 10 years ago by people who are not really hardware people. And, and it's extremely cheap to manufacture. So, like, you know, business-wise, like, <laughs> they're yeah. not going to, like, move from that. And reality is, if most people use a passphrase and, you know, most people are not going to get hacked. I mean, it's I like to say, it's like, <clears throat> any harder wallet is better than no harder wallet. Right. <laughs> right? right? So, like, at least you got a layer there. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it takes someone with at least some kind of special technical knowledge to break that. It's not like somebody... Any asshole is going to do it. It's going to be somebody that has wow. to have some technical chops. Or the no. problem with <laughs> or the no. Trezor situation is that, like, <clears throat> you know, uh, you can just essentially copy the the stuff, right? Because it's so cheap to make. Um, you can make a little black box, and I'm sure it probably exists already in the dark market. You buy a little black box that you stick a Trezor in, and it's like, boom. <laughs> you know, that, Give me the wow. key. Yeah. We're going to have to change up some recommendations for people. Uh, you know, crazy. that's kind of how airports work with cell phones. Um, you know, the TSA agent does not understand how anything works, right? But like, he can just, when, when they apprehend you into the, little, into the little room and they ask you for your phone, they plug your phone into this machine that copies the whole memory of the phone. And yeah, then, and they send it off. you know, the, the guys who do the inspection know how to get access to the memory, right? Uh, it's similar in a way on how this black boxing will work four hard wallets in the future, right? Never take a hard wallet to an airport, even a secure one. Man, our conviction in cold card is growing by the minute here. <laughs> <laughs> so don't trust me, verify. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I actually understood how to code because I'd love to actually verify, but I'm basically at your mercy because I have no idea what that shit means. Well, here's another cool thing that some projects have. It's called deterministic builds. So what happens is cryptographically, we can show to you that the firmware in the device is the same firmware we wrote. So that means there is a lot of people out there who can code. There's a lot of people who can code, who use code card, and they do review the source code, right? And then what they do is they build the source code and they check the signatures. They check the byte count and everything. So then if you trust a few of those people, right, that are non-affiliated to us, and they say that the firmware does what it says it does, and they built it and proved it, 
you're benefiting from that web of trust now. So right. we would have to cheat a lot of people who are very knowledgeable about code and Bitcoin in order to get you an evil cold card. That is one of the little features that I love is that when you put the new uh, firmware on, it checks cryptographically for you and gives you red light, green light. That's a cool yeah. feature that it has. That is cool. Um, maybe a wrap up question here as we round towards the end and the three of us head towards bed. Um, <laughs> what, what, which products of yours are the most popular? I'm curious because I think the assumption as I'm sure cold card leads the league, but like, man, block clock is like, it's a you've made it if you have one of these things. I mean, every here's, here's single feels like all these a free block clock. He's trying. I feel he's, like he's every, everybody in their everybody <laughs> in their mother's got one of these in the background. I mean, is this thing infringing on cold card in terms of being your most popular product? You know, like it's like you know we make this these sort of like hardcore security projects that like you know we're like sort of you know it's like. Paranoia thinking is the standard thinking for the device. We're like, you know, sometimes we just need an outlet to make like fun things, you know? Like, yeah. So like Absolutely. Lock Lock is sort of like this, let's make a fun thing, light. I don't care if it gets hacked, <laughs> you know? Like, so uh, I think a lot of the the people in this space sort of like pick that up as well. It's like, oh, you know, I want a lighthearted device about right. Bitcoin that shows me the blocks, you know? It's like just fun and pretty, right? So I think that's sort of like what's happening, and and I I think a lot of people like it. It's sold it's sold a fair bit. When did when did that uh, when did you put out the Black Clock Mini? How long has it been on the market? I I I don't know. Uh, maybe a year plus, something like that. I'd say, because uh, the OG clock was sort of like you know we want to make a device that sort of represents Bitcoin and it's 10 year anniversary of Bitcoin. And, you know, like, so like we went like, fuck the cost and sort of like that kind of stuff. Right. And we saw that people really liked the idea of having something like that. So we were like, you know, how can we make something cool that is not just a screen? Like, listen, coding a device that runs a screen, a color screen, whatever. It's like, that's like, you know, a weekend project. Right. So we're like, okay, no, but let's find a different display. A display that does something like different, like e-ink, right? And sort of like we were trying to make something that sort of like was still like meaningfully fun and cool, uh, like down to the hardware, and, and and sort of like that was sort of like the idea of of like making this device the way it is. Um, yeah, yeah, we're gonna buy them. <laughs> <laughs> Love what you folks Sooner are later. up to. Um. You're probably wishing maybe you weren't located in Canada at this day and time, but uh, man, you the, the Canadian firepower right now in Bitcoin. We've said this a few times on the show. Who we? What's our Canadian count right now, Josh? We've had Foss on, we've had Booth on, we've had Sessions on. Sessions, yeah. Um, we got you on. We've got Vallis coming on this year. I mean, it's crazy what's going on up there. I mean, you know, Bitcoin took hold here early. I mean, we were running Dev meetups in like 2012 with like you know, a decent amount of people showing up like, and, and it's funny. We even unfortunately produce Vitalik from here. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's like Bitcoin has a, a like a good old history here. And, and um, we, we have a lot of programmers and, and, and like in this part of Ontario as well. Um, so yeah, no, it, it's fun. It's fun. It's like, uh, it's a cool thing. It's a shame that we're losing a lot of people because of the, you know, current Rona neuroses, uh, things are like 
you know, it's not as bad like as like Quebec or Australia kind of thing. You know, unfortunately, only the the bad news sort of travels around. It's still pretty sort of you know not insane, but it's like bad check crazy in regards to like just normal reality, right? I mean, it's right. <sighs> people it's are so scared. People are people are leaving. Minds. I think I saw you tweet something about this. I mean, we live in a pretty liberal state. We're in Illinois. And uh, for better or for worse, whatever your opinion is, we got a lot of people exiting this state. Yeah, I think we're number three in the country for exits in just behind New York and California. Yeah, and uh, it's going to keep climbing, man. Productive people who want freedom are voting with their feet. They're taking their capital now. Bitcoin is very easy, and they're moving to low tax, high freedom places. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, it's by the hundreds from here. Like, and, and that's just like people who I know who are related to this industry, right? Like, it's not even like everybody else. People are tired, man. It's like enough. Like, I don't want to be a tax cow who yeah, doesn't no. even get to enjoy freedoms. It's like, fuck off, right? Yeah. Like, you don't deserve my money. <laughs> I'm going to move somewhere else. Leave and or get milked. That's yep. right. Don't be, a, don't be a milk cow. Get out. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, like the amount of people who left like California, New York to go to Florida and like, I mean, the, the, the rich people from New York moved to, to Florida and like they even opened their own ballet there, you, you know, like, <laughs> like, like, like it's, it's fascinating, right? Like that you have so much capital moving that like, and they're just, fuck it. We're just going to start their own thing here. Yeah. This jurisdictional arbitrage is going to get fascinating. And people are just doubling down in these states that are losing people, you know, like there's, there's no reality check happening. It's crazy. But it's because, you know, services, money doesn't come from taxes, right? It comes from money printing. So, you know, we know now that like, you don't need taxes anymore. I mean, they could cancel tax tomorrow, right? And just use the money printer to pay for all the services. I mean, it's seriously, it's like, it's just so minute. It's crazy. Uh, the, the tax dollars that go toward services that, eh, who cares, right? But they still need taxes to sort of like, you know, make sure they truly torture the population still. <laughs> it's just inflation, Rodolfo. Yeah, yeah. justinflation.org. <laughs> I love that. Thanks so much for your time, man. This was an absolute blast. It was a hey, pleasure. Guys, thanks for having me. This, this was fun. Yeah, we hope to do it again sometime soon. It just ping. Sounds good. We will. Enjoy the rest of your day. Keep up that good work. Um, what a product you have. Thanks for all your contributions. Seriously. Hey, guys. Thanks for educating people. It's like, it's it's just so important, right? That like you have like, you know, non-scammers, um, like teaching people how to Bitcoin. <laughs> you know, like it's too easy to get that scam money. It is. <laughs> you know, it's very I easy. I love it. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening into the show. If you enjoyed this discussion, be sure to subscribe on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you have an extra minute, go ahead and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're at blue underscore collar BTC. We invite questions, comments, and inquiries of any kind, and our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to you joining us next time on the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast.